All right, good morning, Awakening Church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're new, my name's Ryan. We're absolutely thrilled to have you with us. Um, this morning, we're kicking off a brand new series entitled Entrusted. Uh, living as stewards. If you've been with us throughout the fall, you'll know that we've been teaching out of this ancient, incredible book of Proverbs, and it's really wisdom for living life well in God's universe. And so we're, uh, we did a six-part series called Basics, and just the basics of life. And if you missed any of that, you can go to awakeningchurch.com, check it out. We do podcasts to get that question uh, from time to time. Do we podcast it? Absolutely. You can check it out there. I want to welcome those who are joining us via live stream as well. That's amazing. We have people all over the country that join us via live stream, which is unbelievable. So yeah, say hi to Seattle and say hi to a bunch of different places. That's amazing. Um, This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, this whole idea of being entrusted and the idea of wisdom and wisdom specifically with our wealth, wisdom with our finances. Now here's a disclaimer. For those who have a perception of the church, or even a perception of God, that all God wants, or all the church wants, is my money. And that's, that may be some of you. Here's, here's my disclaimer. Don't give here. Okay? No, no, I, I just mean that real honestly, because here's what I want you to hear. I want you to be able to hear what God has to say about stewarding your finances wisely. And if there's any hint... Any hint of manipulation, any hint of coercion, any hint of like these just after my money, please, please never give out of guilt. Please never give because you feel like you're obligated. In fact, the Bible tells us to be cheerful givers, okay? So that's just my disclaimer because we're going to dive into some water here that, that God doesn't actually want something from you more than he wants something for you this morning and how to steward your finances and my finances well. Okay, so that's just my disclaimer. We're all on the same page. This means yes, this means no. All right. You ready? Let's lock in. Grab your notes. Here we go. How do you truly experience financial peace? Money impacts every area of life, doesn't it? Impacts your relationships. You know, the top two arguments that every marriage has centers around first sex, second money. It influences and impacts your relationship with your kids, especially as you grow up and you see the whole inheritance thing play out. It impacts friendships. In fact, I used to have some really close friends but they entered a different socioeconomic status. I don't know if you ever had that before. So their vacations, we could no longer vacation. And then all of a sudden, their friendships changed, you know, to that status. It impacts our relationships. It impacts our future hopes and dreams, doesn't it? When it comes to what, where you want to be, where you want to end up, house, car, vacation, retirement. And more pressing, it impacts our present reality. What you do, how you do it. The level of anxiety and stress that you feel. Money. It impacts every single area of our life. And here's why. Because when we talk about money, we're talking about so much more than just paper. Every time we talk about money, and this is why it turns into an argument in a marriage. 
turns into anxiety internally is we're talking about values. We're talking about priorities. We're talking about the things in our life that matters most. And here's what we find. We tend to live under immense financial pressure and yet never truly experience financial peace. How do you truly experience financial peace? Uh, This morning I'm going to talk about a singular principle, and we're going to do some things to get to that principle. It's the principle of first fruits. The principle of first fruits is God's game plan or pathway for us to experience financial peace. Now just think about that word peace for a second. In the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture, the word peace is the word shalom. It's way bigger than just the absence of strife. It means to have wholeness, completion, soundness, to be at rest. I mean, imagine. Imagine being at rest, at peace, to feel this sense of fulfilledness and wholeness when it comes to life and the pressures around you, and specifically in your finances. So how do we experience financial peace? Well, the answer is found in the principle of first fruits. We're going to get to that, but to set the conversation up, I want to do two things. I want to talk about two fundamental approaches to life that we buy into, that we live out. They're paradigms that we, li- that we live into, and I, and I really believe there are two fundamental ones, and we're going to unpack that, and for some, you're going to be arguing the whole way. No, there can't be two. Okay, it's fine. I, I got the mic. We can talk afterwards. <laughs> the second, then, is this idea of generosity, because for some, you're still wrestling with this idea uh, of uh, you're going to still be wrestling with me when we talk about these two fundamental pr- approaches. And so I want to talk about generosity's great mystery, uh, or really, as one author wrote, in fact, it was book, called The Paradox of Generosity, and we'll see that what our scientific um, data shows us now supports a 3,000-year-old proverb. Isn't that amazing? About what it means to be generous and how we're made. All right, you ready? Two fundamental approaches to life. The first approach is the approach of entitlement. The second, of entrustment. First, being entitled or being entrusted. Now, just for those of you who realize, hey, the millennial generation has been labeled the entitled generation, it's not true. America is the entitled country. It is, this is the American mindset. Entitlement is that all that I have is mine. I earned it, and so I deserve it, and I can do with it whatever I want. It is this whole idea of deserving and you having earned it. It is our mantra in America that we are self-made women and men, that we picked ourselves up by our own bootstrap. I got there and nobody helped me. I'm entitled. That's what entitlement is. The second biblical is a biblical worldview of being entrusted. Entrusted means that all that I have is God's. It's from God, and I have been in, it has been entrusted to me. And since I am entrusted by God with all that I have, then everything that I have is simply a stewardship of that entrustment. 
I, I, it's not that I deserved it. I've been given it. It's a radically different approach to life. And I just got to warn us, the pull of our culture, the undercurrent of our, of our economy is going to pull us to entitlement. The perspective of entitlement is that of a scarcity mindset. There's limited. There's not enough. And so you have to get mine. The perspective of those who live in the mindset of entrusted is abundance. Who gave it to you? God. Who created what? Everything. So the abundance is unlimited. You have more than enough. The perspective is it was never mine to begin with. The attitude, and you're going to wrestle with me on this, okay, of entitlement is greed. Now, let me define greed because none of us, hopefully, would self-identify as greedy. (laughs) All of a sudden, someone's like, yes, I am. Okay. (laughs) All right? Because we can't see greed in a mirror. But we call it frugal. Let me give you a, a simple definition of greed. Wanting more than I need. Wanting more than I need, that is greed. Isn't that nice? It rhymes. Isn't that so cute? (laughs) Wanting more than I need. And often the emotion attached with greed is fear. Because I'm afraid that I won't have enough. I'm afraid that you'll get what's mine. There's other emotions, but I think that's the prevailing emotion that we have when it comes to greed, especially in the Silicon Valley. Entrusted, the attitude is that of gratitude. If I've been entrusted, I have abundance, it's all been given to me, then I'm not focused on what I do not have. I'm thankful for what I do have. Like, this is unbelievable. Look at this car. I cannot believe I get to drive this 1996 Toyota. It's phenomenal. I, I don't drive a 1996 Toyota. But all of a sudden, you're thankful for what you do have. And you realize, I, I just get to steward the things that I have. The practice uh, for the entitled perspective or approach is that of being, is to consume. We consume in two ways. We either spend it all or we store it all. We spend it or store it. Both are consuming. One is consuming now. One is delayed consuming. For you're, I'm going to hold on to it in case something happens. The practice of the entrusted is that of a steward. Father, all that I have is from you. You gave it to me. And so how do you want me to use it? How do you want me to use it? Since it's all from you, it's not mine. It's thine. That's old English King James Version for some of you who've never heard that word for for his or God's. The result of the entitled, if you have perspective, scarcity, greed, consume, practice is consuming, the result is comparison. Comparison kills joy. Comparison kills peace. Comparison says, why don't I and why do they? And it produces envy and anxiety. And that's the world we live in. And we're constantly looking around, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to achieve the American dream, chasing after enough, and yet enough just keeps being one step in front of us. 
The result for those who live with the entrusted mindset, the biblical mindset, is that of contentment. Peace and satisfaction. You go, man, I'm not comparing to what others have around me. I'm so grateful for what I do have. Thank you. I'm content. By the way, imagine what would change for those of you who are renting and have this deep discontent to the American dream and I deserve to own a home. Everyone says they deserve. No, you don't. I'm sorry. It would be nice to own a home. You do not deserve to own a home. But imagine if you began to release that and go, you know what? I don't deserve to own a home. If I do one day, that would be amazing. But I am content with the home I live in. Thank you for for providing it for me. Because I recognize that there are so many around the world that do not have a home, that do not have a shelter, and hashtag blessed. If you are wrestling with me about these two fundamental approaches, maybe I can give you a few stats. The American mindset, 90% of people in our country buy things they cannot afford. 90%. 60% of people do not pay off their credit card. Consume, consume, consume to the point that we are in debt. Over 50% do not save whatsoever. Over 50% of our country, think about this, if they lost their jobs, would not be able to pay for their entire month's expenses. Millennials, 70% of millennials have no cash cushion. 60% of those under the age of 30 have already cashed in their 401k. Because we live in this consumption world. How do you truly experience financial peace? The principles of first fruits is the pathway to truly experiencing financial peace. And this perspective shift of entitlement to entrusted is the first step. Now, I want to give you a picture. And you look semi-athletic. Will you hop up here with me? Oh, you know what? And I, hang on. Come on, you hop up. And I, I took my wallet out of my uh, pocket. There we go. All right, yeah, you did it. Good, good, good. Made it. Now, by coming up here, you have to show up next week. Oh. Okay. It's big, big accountability. Because I just want to give you this picture, and it's going to help. Um, this is my $10. I got it out of the bank yesterday. And I want to give you and entrust to you $10. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take this $10, spend five of it on yourself, however you want. I I actually want you to enjoy it. I want you to, you know, maybe it's the pumpkin spice latte that you've been dreaming about. (laughs) You can look at him. He is a big pumpkin spice latte guy. And then I want you to spend half of it. Again, this is not a whole lot of money, but half of it on someone else. And you determine that. You just figure out, how can I spend half of this on someone else for their good? All right? All right. There you go. All right. See ya. (laughs) Whose money is he holding right now? Mine. I've entrusted it to him. He did not earn it. There's nothing that he did to deserve it. I have entrusted it to him. And so he's going to be carrying around $10 this week of Ryan's 
hard-earned cash that I, okay. (laughs) And that is the picture for each and every single one of us. That your life is a sacred entrustment from God. That, that is just deposited. The, the intellect that God's given you. The abilities God's given you. Where you live on the planet in Silicon Valley is a sacred entrustment. And the minute we shift that somehow I did something, we will be broken. We go, oh, no, no, no. This is an entrustment. It is all his, and I am simply a steward. Well, let me unpack briefly generosity's great mystery. We have the most generous God on the planet. But Proverbs eleven twenty four says this. One person gives freely, underline gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, underline that withholds, but comes to poverty. Now notice this. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Did you know 45% of Americans give nothing at all? There's only 2.7% of the American population that gives 10% of their wealth or above away. The wealthiest country. Uh, In this book, Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, The Paradox of Generosity, they did uh, an intense research on Americans' generosity and the effects of generosity. In it, in their concluding statements, they write this. If America wants to become happier, healthier people who live with greater purpose, suffer less depression, enjoy more personal growth, one way they might better accomplish this is to learn to be more generous. The scientific evidence shows clearly that more generous people are doing significantly better in their lives in many important ways. One who gives freely, it gains even more. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We have the most generous God on the planet. We just sang about it and singing about him giving his own son. And Jess was just praying about that. That when we leverage our lives for generosity, we are so much like our God. And and what's, what's the great mystery of generosity is when I give it away, I don't actually lose. I, I don't actually lose. When I hold it tightly, it has a tight hold on me. See, going back to what I said earlier, God actually wants something for you not from you. And this conversation is so hard because we tend to think that the things that we have, we are mine. And yet God knows this. As long as you're holding it like this, he can never put anything in your hands. See, the minute we go like this, I'm entrusted, God, it's all yours. See, He can go, now I can fill you up. Now I can fill you up. 
And it's not always about financial. Did you notice that a generous person, the, the studies show, are happier. Those who practice systematic generosity, not sporadic generosity, not coerced generosity, systematic generosity are happier, they're healthier, they have lower levels of depression, they live longer, they have greater sense of purpose in life. Those who practice generosity. And so if you've never been to church, I want you to practice this, even if you never give to this church, because it will be better for you. Because this is woven into the very fabric of the universe because God created this universe, and we have an incredibly extravagant, generous God. All right. So how do you truly experience financial peace? The first fruits is God's antidote, antidote, antidote to entitlement. The principle of first fruits is God's antidote to entitlement and his game plan for you and I to experience financial peace. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. And as you turn there... In it, the author writes this, Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your stuff, with your money, with your finances. How? With the first fruits of all your crops. Now, this idea of first fruits refers to the portion of the harvest given to God. It's the first to come. You just think about you're growing, you know, some wheat, and the first things, stalks of grain to finally ripen. It says, take those first things that ripen up and give them back to God, trusting that more harvest is going to come. It's not saying you, you got a big harvest, and so give now to God. It says, when you have the very first fruits that come in. Take that first fruit and give it to God, trusting that there's greater harvest yet to come. And dedicate it to God. By giving God the first fruits, Israel would acknowledge that uh, all good things came from God and, and that uh, everything belongs to him. And then it says this, Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new Wine. This idea of first fruits is woven throughout the uh, scriptures. It begins all the way back in Genesis with Cain, Cain and Abel. Uh, and if you know the story of Cain and Abel, they're brothers. They're actually sons of uh, Adam and Eve. And they offered an offering to God. Uh, and, as, and Cain offered, after a time, it says, after a long time, he offered some of his livestock. And it says about Abel that he offered the first fruits. Or Cain offered some of his, um, not livestock, Cain, Abel was the one who did livestock, sorry. Uh, but some of his uh, weed or whatever he was growing, I... He's grown something. He's grown something. And Abel offered the firstborn, the first of his flock. And God said, he looked unfavorably of, of Abel's, and he said, Cain, come on, bro. This New Ingram translation, the NIV. You go all the way back to Abraham. 
And Abraham, he, he had just got done actually returning after a great victory. And he, he comes across the, the Melchizedek and he offers him 10%, the first of the spoils and the plunder. And as they entered the promised land in Deuteronomy 26, this gets codified that they were to give the first fruits. Now think about this. God's calling them before they ever enter the land to give the first of the fruits of their crop and harvest and livestock before they ever had a land or livestock or crops. He says, this is going to happen, and I'm going to bring you into a land that I provide for you, and one of the habitual acts you're going to do is to return back to me a tenth of what I gave you to remind yourself that everything good comes from me, And that I provided it all to begin with because the natural human tendency is towards entitlement, not entrustment. Our natural human tendency is I earned it, I deserve it, I'll use it how I will instead of God, you gave it to me. And so the principle of first fruit says this, God, give God the first and best and he will bless the rest. Give God your first and best and he will bless the rest. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? Uh, Robert Morris in his book, The Blessed Life, wrote this. He said, being blessed means having supernatural power working for you. Anybody want supernatural power working for you? A blessed person may or may not be wealthy by the world standard, but they enjoy a quality life most billionaires would envy. This is not prosperity gospel, by the way. This is not, hey, give this and God's going to give you X. This is, man, God longs to bless you. And could it be that some of your relational conflict could be absolved when you begin to trust God with your finances? Could the satisfaction and contentment that you so long for just be supernaturally given when you begin to trust God with your finances? Malachi 3.10, God says this, Bring the whole tithe. Into the storehouse. Well, what is a tithe? Tithe is simply giving back to God a tenth. Tithe literally means a tenth of what you have been given. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much what? Help me out. Blessing. God wants to bless you. As a good father wants to bless his kids. I was out of Keys on Friday, and my kids didn't have school, and we were having some fun. We'd just gone to the pumpkin patch, and that was amazing. None of us wanted to go except Jenny, by the way, to the pumpkin patch, but all of us were thankful after we did. Um, it's just a moment of honesty. My son, like, really, really wanted a, a soft drink with lunch. And I told him no. And he, he was really upset. Now, I didn't tell him no because I was like, man, I'm a cosmic killjoy called your dad, and I want to withhold things that you really enjoy and keep you from like the good of the soft drink. Because the soft drink is good. 
I told him no because I had a plan. A plan that he couldn't know and one that I wanted to be a surprise because after dinner or after lunch, we had such a fun time. There happens to be a little candy store downtown Willow Glen, and I wanted to give each of my kids some money to go into that candy store to, like, go wild. And yet, as a good, loving father, I know if they have soda and then candy, it short-circuits the system. You have a perfect heavenly Father who delights to bless you. Who wants to bring about supernatural good on your behalf. And here's what tithe is. Here's all that tithe is. Tithe trains our hearts to trust God at his word. Tithe is a habitual practice of taking the first fruits, the tenth of what we earn, and give it back to him to remind us that all that we have is his. All that we are, you know, are, we're stewards, that he is good. And so I'm going to give it back trusting him. And as we give, it literally is this training mechanism for us of learning how to take God at his word and experience that he is good, that he is a good father that wants to bless you and me. And this moves us from giving out of convenience to giving with conviction. And culturally, we give out of convenience. Really, we give out to causes or when we feel bad. No, no, no. I have a conviction of this is what we are called to do. The principle of first fruit, give God your first and best, and he will bless the rest. Well, how do we do that? How do we put it into practice? The practice of first fruits, I just got three simple things, and we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking some of these ideas. The practice of first fruit is reverse the order. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. I think everybody in Silicon Valley is wearing themselves out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. I know you're bright. I know you're educated. I know you went to that great school. But don't trust it. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings uh, and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And how many have had that experience? And if you've lived long enough, at least through 2000, 2008, you've watched this happen. You've got to reverse the order. The normative order for us is consume what I make. Next slide. Consume what I make. Save if I can. Give if there's any left over. That's the order of our culture. I just consume what I make. Whatever comes in, I consume it. Consume, consume, consume. Save if I can, although what we know is most people do not. Because you consumed it. <laughs> and give if there's any left over. And that's generally pocket change to someone on the side of the road. First fruits, the order is give to God first, save or invest second. We'll talk about that next week. And then live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. And say that with me. Give first, save second, live on the rest. That is the order, the practice of first fruits. And so this is the order. I got some apples yesterday. I got 10 apples. Since I, I'm not very good at math, I thought, 10, I can do 10% of 10. <laughs> okay, now think about this, because this is the way we think about giving. I got 10 apples, 
And so I'm going to give 10% to God. That's not the principle of first fruits. The principle of first fruits is the tree just started and you see an apple. And you got one apple. And you can either take it for yourself or you can give it to God trusting that he will take care of you. It does not take faith to give last. It takes faith to give first. In fact, I was so convicted of that that I changed the way I even tithe. I do it automatic. I love automatic tithe. Um, I don't have to think about it quite as much. It keeps me disciplined systematically. But I, I would tithe this way. And I just share this just because this is what God was doing even in my own life. Um, and so what I would do is I would, you know, pay all my bills at the first of the month. I get paid, you know, on the 15th and 30th. Um, and so I get two paychecks a month. And so I'd pay all my bills at the beginning. And then I'd tithe in the middle of the month and, you know, just had this rhythm. And I realized, no, no, I get paid twice a month. I should tithe twice a month. I'm going to give of the first of my fruits. Give to God first, save second, live on the rest. And so here's what I, I want you to pull this out. I want to talk about this. Is I want to offer to you what I'm calling the stewardship challenge. The stewardship challenge is simply this. Where you would take God at his word... For many, I know there's many who have never practiced the principle of first fruits, have never biblically tithed. And it can be scary. It can be a big deal. And here's the, here's the challenge for us. Is, here's what I'd invite you to do. That you would say, you know what, I'm going to test God. Did you notice that in Malachi it said, test and see if I will not? Throw open the floodgates of heaven? Like this is the only spot in the entire scripture where God invites us to test him. And so I'm going to invite you to test him. See if he will not be faithful to his word. And where you go, okay, I'm going to go begin to give God first 10%. It does mean, and it's the biggest adjustment of your life. It does mean adjusting your lifestyle, doesn't it? But here's what I... Here's what we're committing to. If you sign this, fill this out, turn this in, begin to do it. If after 90 days you don't experience the blessing of God in your life, we'll return your money. We'll return your money. That's how much we believe in it. Because we believe God's promises are sure and certain. And I just hope that you begin to experience it. And so you just take this. Now, for many, you shouldn't fill this out this week. You need to get away and pray. And then you just take this. Oh, man, I love preparation. It is not perspiration. That's not good. But preparation, oh, so good. And when you get, this is a commitment between you and God. I don't want you to make some knee-jerk response. Give first, save second, live on the rest. The practice the first fruits, you have to reverse the order. Then you have to spend less than you make. I know that should sound obvious. <laughs> it's like, duh. We just don't do it. 
You just have to spend less than you make. Be sure to know the condition of your flocks, Proverbs 27 says. Give careful attention to your herds. That's the source of wealth in the ancient day, by the way. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Spend less than you make. Well, how do you do that? Let me just give you one simple practice. Because if you're going to reverse the order, you're going to need to do this. Follow your money. Follow your money. The average person has no idea where they're spending their money. I often, at times, have had no idea where I've spent my money. You follow your money, you realize that little coffee habit is killing the budget. Like, I had no idea. I mean, some people, that, that eating out... Whatever it is, you just begin to track your money. Become a detective. Become a sleuth. Whatever it is, you know, that would make it more fun. But, but you go, I'm going to figure out where my money's going. By the way, Jesus said, wherever your money is, there your heart follows. It's a good indicator of what has your heart as well. But follow your money. Maybe it's coffee, maybe it's going out, maybe it's gym membership, maybe it's movies, whatever it is. But then you have to begin to look at, I'm going to spend less than I make. Here's what I make. Average people spend 110% of their income in America. We are the wealthiest country in the world and have nothing to show from it because we live as debtors and not spending less than we make. So the practice of first fruits, I'm going to reverse the order. I'm going to spend less than I make, and then I'm going to make a plan. Why? Because if you fail to plan, you plan to spend less than you make. We're going to talk about that next week and how to do that real practically. This whole make a plan is going to be week three, and we're going to talk about how to do that and help you make a real practical plan. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Systematic plan. In that, embrace the KISS principle. KISS principle, keep it simple. I made you say stupid in church. (laughs) Simple and sustainable. If you're like me, there's some people that love this stuff. They're in the business of this. They're like... They're annoying to me. No, I'm just kidding. I really am. But it's just like, I I don't love this stuff. I need it really simple. I just need the nuts and bolts. If you really love it, that's amazing. We're so thankful for you. For many of us, we don't love it. We need something very simple and sustainable. Keep it simple. Set a financial goal. Like one. Just one goal. I'm going to have the goal of spending less than I make for the rest of the year. I'm going to have the financial goal of giving the first 10% to God. You know what a goal is? It's just a dream with a deadline. That's all a goal is. It's a dream with a deadline. We have lots of dreams. We never see them come to fruition because we never put a deadline to them. I'm going to set a financial goal for our family and then finally get outside help. Get outside help. In January, we're going to do Financial Peace University. uh, And and I want to make this required curriculum for every millennial in our church. I do. I do. I I don't know how to to make that, make you go to it. But like the 
24% of millennials um, have any financial wherewithal or training. That means 75% of millennials have no financial training whatsoever or how to manage money wisely. Please, please, please get outside help. This is something where you, it's so helpful to have those who know how to do it. Financial Peace University is something uh, that we're going to do. Maybe you need some immediate help. Fill on that card and we'll try do our best to connect you with someone. All right. We've gone over a lot. How do you experience financial peace? The principle of first fruits is God's antidote. I can't say that word today. (laughs) Unbelievable. God's antidote. Antidote. I am Swedish. We have a sing-songy thing going on there. (laughs) Antidote for entitlement, and his pathway for you to experience financial peace. Why? Because you no longer are putting your trust in yourself, but you're now trusting God to provide for you. So powerful. So powerful. And so, and so will you then begin to give God your first and best? We're putting our money where our mouth is. We dare you. And again, man, if, if this is something where you go, man, I don't trust that guy, that's Okay. Give somewhere else. We're just not going to reimburse that. But give somewhere else. Because you can't afford not to be generous. One of my favorite stories is all the stories of beginnings, and we'll close with this. When we were moving to California, we were living in Georgia. Um, We were trying to sell our car. I had a... uh, a Honda, I forget even what kind of car it was, but I had a Honda, I was trying to sell it for $5,000. Passport, Honda Passport, silver Honda Passport, I loved it. Uh, the place I was working at actually withheld and kept two months worth of wages. Had a mortgage, had two babies, trying to move across country, and couldn't figure out how we're going to make it work. So my solution was in this car. I thought, man, if we sell at $5,000, that that will get us through this season. And then I just felt this nudge and this prompting of God. Hey, Ryan, I want you to give your car away. That's a bad idea. I don't know if you saw the bank account, but that's a bad idea. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) So I talked to Jenny, and there was a family of four that had three teenagers, didn't have a lot, and that family was helping us try to sell our car, and we felt like God was calling us to give that car to them instead of sell it. And so we said, okay, God, we're going to trust you. Because if you ask us to do something, you're going to provide for us. And so we said, okay, God, here. I remember going to them and saying, you know what? Jenny, I've been praying. We just feel like God's called us to give you the car. Oh, we couldn't take it? No. Then you're like denying God, not us. You can't do that. Um, we, month goes by. Bank account getting low. About a week or two before we were to move, had no idea how we're going to pay for everything. Get a knock on the door. 
I open it up, and there's this guy, and he hands me an envelope. He was a courier. I'd never had a courier come to the house before. He hands me an envelope. Sign for it. Open it up. A note read from a guy named Gary. I'd only met him once or twice. Hadn't seen him probably in a year. Hey, Ryan, heard you're moving. Sad to see you leave the area. Thought you could use some moving around money. Inside was a check for how much? $5,000. You have a God who doesn't want something from you but for you. Tithing trains our heart to trust God at his word. He longs to bless you. See you next week for part two of Entrusted.